the early church father uh, by the name of Tertullian. Um, and I was thinking about Tertullian, and uh, I think he falls in the line of uh, the Apostle John, that the Apostle John uh, discipled Polycarp, who we talked about several weeks ago. And I don't remember if uh, I'm supposed to know this, and I was sitting there on the front pew going, I ought to know this. I, I really think Polycarp uh, discipled Tertullian. Tertullian is the second century, uh, so he's a hundred years removed from uh, the time of Jesus and the early church. Uh, Tertullian records in his history of the early church in the second century that the pagans would say of the Christians the pagans in the second century would say of the Christians see how they love one another and he also recorded that they would say how ready they are to die for one another. So even in the second century, the Christians were known for their love of one another. If God were evaluating churches, what would he look for? What would be the criteria? What would be the characteristics that God was looking for in a great church? I believe one of the things that God would look for is a great love. Jesus, in the upper room, in the last hours, with his disciples. When I know that he chose his words very carefully, at one point in the upper room, John records in John 13, verse 34 and 35, that Jesus says to his followers, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I want to talk this morning about love one another. Jesus puts it to his disciples as a command. He says in verse 34, a new command I give to you. It's almost as if as Moses on Mount Sinai gave the Israelites commands that Jesus said, before I leave, I want to give you a command, which is more than a suggestion more than, hey, I want to talk to you guys about this. He put it in such a way, he says, no, this is a command. It's almost like 
etch it in the stones, know that this is something that I'll, I will always expect of you. And the command was to love one another. It's, it is interesting to note that the apostles heard him clearly <laughs> in the way he said it. Because the apostles that write in the New Testament repeat this command. And in fact, in the same way that Jesus said it. Paul says in Romans 13.8, Paul, Romans 13.8, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Paul says it. In the same way that Jesus said it, love one another. Peter, who would have been in the upper room on that occasion and heard those words, he says in his first letter, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, he says, And above all things have fervent love for one another. For love covers a multitude of sins. Now, the one apostle that talked more about this than any other was the, the apostle John who describes himself in his own gospel as the disciple whom Jesus loved. So when he writes, I mean, obviously uh, our text for the day in John 13, 34, and 35 is in John's gospel and Y'all remember that, that 12-year stint when I was preaching through the Gospel of John? How many of y'all were here for those 12 years when I preached through John? Yes, yes. See, even the Israelites came through the wilderness and got to the promised land, didn't they? We're on the other side of John. I don't mean to go back. But I always contended that John's Gospel was written at the end of the first century after the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, were well known. And John, as the old man writes, it's kind of a supplemental Gospel where John goes, I know them boys told you some things, but I was there and I've got some things I need to include in the, in the record. And so I, I believe he writes his Gospel in many respects as a supplement to the other three Gospels. And I think this would have been one of the stories. He goes, I know you boys told some of the things that Jesus said in the upper room, but the thing that I heard was when he said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And John always went back. And you see, he would have been the one who passed it down to Polycarp, who would have passed it down to Tertullian in the second century, who in that spirit of John would have said, no, you know what the pagans say? It's see how they love one another. I'm sorry. First, in First John, John echoes these words. He would have been there also. In First John 3, 11, he says, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. So these apostles and the writers of the New Testament, they're echoing the very words that Jesus said when he said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. In fact, the New Testament writers use that phrase, love one another, 13 times. There has been some discussion when Jesus said a new commandment I give to you about what did he mean? In what sense is it a new commandment? Some of you will remember the gospel story of when the religious leader came and said to Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Oh, it would be in Matthew 23. 
And Jesus said, the first and great commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And he said the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. But Jesus here says, love one another. And he says, a new commandment I give to you. Well, in many respects, we had already been, as followers of Jesus, commanded to love God, love our neighbor. Actually, Jesus even taught in the Sermon on the Mount, love your enemy. Hmm. So what sense is this a new commandment? I believe it all hinges on that phrase, one another. He had told them, and the Old Testament law had said, love your neighbor. Jesus said, no, I have a new commandment. It's kind of a new way I want to say it. Love one another. And in fact, I think not only is, so it speaks of a, and we're going to get to this, a new community. There is a new context in which this commandment comes into place. And so it is, a, it is a new commandment. There is another aspect of it because Jesus invariably says when he says love one another, the next phrase in John 13, 34, he says, notice what he said, as I loved you. Jesus said, no, this is new because you've seen what love really is in my life. I want the standard is somewhat new in that you need to love the way that I loved you. Jesus wasn't asking us to do anything he hadn't already done for us. I've loved you. Now you go and you love one another as I have loved you. And Jesus is going to say that again. And I think in that sense, because it is a new community and there is a new standard to love as Jesus loved, that it's a new commandment. But I think it all hinges, and we're going to spend a little time this morning with the one another. In fact, the phrase one another hmm, is used, I know, 42 times in the New Testament. I actually read something on the Internet last night that said it was 59 times. I didn't have time to track that down. A bunch of times the New Testament talks about one another. Uh, <laughs> Byron, it wasn't in Greek 101 that we covered the one another. It would have been at least the second semester. One another in the Greek is the reciprocal pronoun. Can I get a witness for the Lord this morning? Reciprocal pronouns. Can no, no, none of y'all know. I didn't know what a reciprocal pronoun was until I showed up at Greek 102 and we covered it in that one class. This is a rather uh, unusual uh, pronoun, a reciprocal pronoun. In Greek, it's one word, and the best English translation is this phrase, one another. Um... Uh, so I don't, I don't even guess English has a reciprocal pronoun other than just one word. It's just this phrase. Reciprocal. Hmm. Reciprocal means that there is a, uh, a mutual flow of something between individuals reciprocal. Uh, my friend Sammy Weaver, who's in the nursery this morning, so I'm going to preach long this morning. <laughs> No, I'm teasing. I'm sorry. That, that's, that, that wasn't Jesus. That was the devil got in my head. I told Sam, I said, I'm going to probably go way long this morning since you're in the nursery. 
And I know the babies are well taken care of, right? You know, people are praying against me. You know, some of y'all pray for me. There's people back in the nursery every Sunday that are praying for me. Lord, don't let the Spirit get on him because we don't need to go any longer in this than we need to. <laughs> Sammy's praying for me, against me right now. Uh, Sammy and I do lunch periodically, and oh, if I'm being honest, most of the time Sammy pays. Sometimes, though, I reciprocate, which I did this week. What does that mean? Ah, no, no, you've, you've paid several times in a row. It's, and I had a coupon to Slotsky's also. But anyhow, that didn't have anything to do with it. He looked at the toll and said, well, you got off cheap. <laughs> hey, that's why I told you where I wanted to eat. And I was willing to reciprocate. <laughs> reciprocate means that there is this flow back and forth. It speaks of a mutual relationship um, and is translated in English in this New Testament phrase in English, one another. It speaks of a mutual relationship within a group, a community, it implies people of the same kind. Forty-two times it's used in the New Testament. Thirteen of those, almost one in three, refers to love. But the other things that the New Testament speaks of one another is to honor one another, accept one another, instruct, greet, bear with, admonish, encourage. There's others, actually. My point being, when the New Testament uses this phrase, one another, it always refers to the church, the community of believers. When Jesus was in the upper room and he looked at them and he said, love one another, he used the reciprocal pronoun. And what he meant was, you see the people in the room that are committed to you and to me and are a part of the community. There needs to be a reciprocal, mutual relationship of love, respect, and all of these things back and forth within the group. What was Jesus' promise? If you do that, all people will know that you are my disciples. There is this sense, and I, I thought about this phrase, one another. Uh, and I think it's part of the newness of the commandment that Jesus gave. Uh, you are to love one to another. It is to be this mutual, reciprocal relationship of taking and caring for one another. So when the early church and the writers, they didn't just say, and sometimes they say, love the brothers, and by implication, the sisters. It never says love the church. Invariably, they go back to the phrase that Jesus said, love one another. There will be great strength in that. Now, now we come to the word love. Hmm. We've, we've had some weddings last year. Madison, we threw the weddings. Thank you, Jesus. We talked a lot about love last year. Oh, my. Hmm. 
in marriage counseling, we talked about love. Mm. At y'all's wedding, the whole theme was from 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. It was up there, love. And we're going to end up there today, but anyhow. I think many times when we hear the word love, we associate it to marriage and family. Right? And rightfully so. But I'm telling you, Jesus said to the community of believers, love one another. But if, but if, I am, if I'm sitting there with my children going through marriage counseling and I'm talking about love, I'm, I'm going to make the point that love is not so much a feeling as it is a commitment of your will to the well-being of another person. That's what I wanted my children to know and still know. Yes, we're going to get there. Love is the commitment of the will to the well-being of another person. Amen? Amen. And that needs to be demonstrated in your, in your marriage, in, in, your, in your family life, right? But my contention today is, Jesus said, it is to be the characteristic of your mutual relationship with one another. So what is that saying? For us that are a part of this church family, we are to be committed to the well-being of one another, right? When Jesus says love one another, that's what he means. I have to be concerned about you and be willing to do whatever I need to do to help you out. It is mutually enriching relationship, reciprocal. It's back and forth. We're taking care of one another. That's what love is. That, that's the force of the word that Jesus used when he used the word agape. That's translated when, it, when he talks about love. It wasn't the typical word that was used on the street in, in Koine Greek. It was no. It was agape. Hmm. That was actually a part of the newness, I think, of the commandment. It was the word that he chose, which is, is the love that God has for us. It is a selfless love, a sacrificial love. It is a forgiving love that says, whatever I need to do for your well-being, I'm committed to that. That's love. It's true for us in marriage, in family. Jesus said it was a command for us in the community of believers love one another I want to talk about for just the next few moments what that practically means for us in our relationship with one another a part of this church family uh, William Barclay, in his commentary on these verses, used four words to describe this love. 
I only like three of them, so I'm just going to use three of them this morning. You'll have to look up and see what the fourth word was. I don't even remember what it is now. But Barclay first said that this kind of love is selfless. Selfless. So, I, I, you know, I think there's so much connected to a word like love that you just kind of go off on what you think. And I, I want to get real practical this morning and say, but what does that actually mean? What is Jesus commanding us to do? And he's talking about being selfless. Uh, so to love one another means that I am not primarily concerned with my needs, but I'm concerned with the needs of other people. Now, that's critical in a home, a marriage, a family, right? Hmm. Let me just tell you, I not only do premarital counseling, at times I do postmarital counseling. That's not as happy clappy. Uh, and obviously there are a number of reasons that marriages and families fall apart. But I, I think for most of them, from my experience, It is that the relationship came to the point where it said, what do I get out of this? What do I get out of this? And then the other person goes, well, well, if you grabbing these little things that I got from wedding decorations from last year, the wedding closet at our house, what are these things? Madison, what are you, are they little glass beads or something? They're little things you put in flower pots and you stick flowers in. It was used at a rehearsal dinner or something. I don't know. These little glass beads. I just thought, David Shaw's a visual guy. David, here's my visual, okay? Hey, David's zoned in now. He's got something he can look at. If, you know, I think most marriages fall apart when both parties get to the point where they're saying, no, no, what about me? What about me? What about my needs? My needs, my needs. And everybody gets to grabbing the little glass <laughs> beads out of the container. What happens when everyone's grabbing out beads? And nobody's putting them in. Eventually, this gets empty, and that's where the preacher gets called in. No, we're at our end. There's nothing left. Because everybody's taken, nobody's giving. I tell couples don't plan on wet marriage being 50 50. <laughs> oh, that's overly optimistic. <laughs> no, just plan on. 60, 40, 70, 30, probably 80, 20. At times, it could be 90, 10. Hopefully, it never gets to 100, 0. But it, it does sometimes. You've got to think the perspective. I've got to give more than I take. What happens when people take more than they give? Well, eventually, this becomes empty. It's true not only in marriages and homes... It's true in churches. When Jesus said love one another, part of what he meant by that is you have to be selfless. You have to be concerned about the needs of the other person more than your needs. That's what love is. And you just have to plan on giving. Now, what happens 
if you take a container, I know I'm going to freak some of y'all out. Just hold on. I'll clean up my mess. What happens when, every, when everyone's taken out, it's going to end up em- empty. But what happens when everybody's putting in? It's okay. It's okay. I'll pick up my mess. No, you just, you go, wait a second. No, no, we got, we got glass beads everywhere. We don't even know what to do with the glass beads we have because we're putting in more than we can hold because everybody's given. You got more than you need. That's where my marriage is right now. Amen. That was a little overly optimistic, guys. But anyhow, I stated with a little bit of confidence until she shoots you down. Said, but now, mm, quite honestly, it looks a little bit like that. But, but that's the truth. Love is, yes, a great thing. When everyone's given and everybody's committed 60, 40, 70, 30, 80, 20, whatever, I, I, I'm willing, I'm here, I'm committed to the, your well-being. Whatever you need me to do, I will do. then we have more than we know what to do with. And it's an amazing thing. There's, there's power and there's strength in a marriage and a home. You understand my point this morning? There's power and strength in a church that is committing to love one another because I'm not concerned about what do I get, but what can I give? And really that leads us to Barclay's second word, and it is the word not only God's kind of love is selfless, but God's kind of love is also sacrificial. And I I use that word sacrificial because it means that it's giving. Uh, Jesus said later in John 15, 12, and 13, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Paul says in Galatians 5.13, By love serve one another. John, the beloved disciple, says, I can't even read all his verses in 1 John, but 1 John 3.16-18, By this We know love because he laid down his life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Love is something you give. It's not primarily a feeling. It is a commitment to the well-being of another. It is sacrificial. The disciples not only saw this, well, they not only saw the selflessness in Jesus, but they also saw the sacrificialness in Jesus' love. Let us love one another. Love one another as I love you. In fact, just verses before in John 13 when Jesus says that, What has he done when they got to the upper room and there wasn't a servant to wash their feet and their feet were dirty? What did Jesus do? Mm. Took off his outer garment, got a bowl and a towel and got on his knees and began to wash their feet. Why? Because Jesus loved them. He was meeting their needs and he was giving them a, a demonstration, an example of what they were to do for one another. And he said that. As I have washed your feet, you wash 
one another's feet. Let it be a reciprocal. This serving one another, giving. The phrase that is used by Jesus and by John is to lay down your life. Give up your life for others. Um, I would die for my wife. Maybe a few other people in the room, but anyhow, that's not the point. Um, And that could be one heroic act. It's probably harder for the Ted to spend 60 years, day by day, moment by moment. How can I lay down my life today for Barbara, for Amy? And I think that's the sense here. Now, obviously, the disciples saw Jesus ultimately give his life on the cross. Yes, he gave up his life. But I think for us, it is about laying down our life on a daily basis You know what love comes down to in giving? It means that we have to have time for one another. Sometimes, some of us, the hardest thing to give is our time. And there's times that people in our midst need us. And part of the obedience to the command of Jesus to love one another is that we have time for one another. Now, I guess that includes a joint worship service this morning, yes. It includes small groups as we do at 9:30 on Sunday mornings. There's other time during our week that maybe aren't scheduled that people need things from us. Part of the reciprocal relationship is that we are willing to give time as an expression of love. I care about you. I'm here for you. What do you need? Obviously, it, uh, it can relate to other areas of our life of things that we give. Uh, when we give to the church, we are, in our tithes and our offerings, we are saying, I'm committed to the well-being of us as a community. When we give to the church, we're really giving to one another that we can... We can have rooms like this. We can have staff members. We can have resources, programs, those kind of things. We are concerned about one another. Uh, And so it can be time and energy, talents, our money that we give, even sacrificially, for the well-being of one another. Families break down when there's more taking than there is giving. I can't spend long on this, but countries fall apart. When there's more people wondering about what do I get than what can I give. You know what we've lost in America? The sense of the common good. What do I give to a country so that we can have a country like this? Somewhere I think we've We've crossed a line somewhere in my lifetime that there's more takers than there are givers. And if the trend continues, we will go down. You can't, con- you can't sustain it. Eventually, there's nothing left. Hmm. Anyhow, that, was, I, that wasn't in my notes. 
<clears throat> it may not even been Jesus. It may have just been my flesh and Daryl Smith just saying, no, that's the way I see our world and our nation. Love is sacrificial. The third thing and the final thing, it was one of the four words that Barclay used, and I, I want to just spend just a few minutes. God's kind of love is not only selfless, and not only is it sacrificial, but it is forgiving. Hmm. It's easy for me to be married because of who I'm married to. I know y'all thinking I'm this bro brother must be really in trouble because he's buttering it up thick this morning. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Hey. It's easy to love those who are lovable. Jesus commands us to love one another. And within the body of Christ, there's all kinds of personalities and all kinds of things. I would contend the test of our love is not for those who we connect with and feel a, a kinship with and we like. No, the test of love in the one another is for those who aren't like us. And I think that's why love is forgiving. Uh, what I love about the word for forgive in the New Testament, it simply means to let it go. <laughs> it just, it's a word that just means to let it go. And I'm telling you in the body of Christ, one of the keys to love is there's some things we just got to let go because everybody's not going to be like us. Everybody's not going to do everything that we think they ought to do or treat us the way we ought to be treated. It's the same. Why do you think Amy has made it 31 and a half years with me? She let some things go. Did you say amen? Did you? Oh, no, I'm sorry. I thought she, I thought she said Amen. Sorry. Now, see, I, I'm just digging the hole back. I just was filling in. Paul said in Ephesians 5:32, "And be kind, one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ Jesus forgave you." Yeah. Before you get on your high horse someday and say, "Well, that pff, that person," mm, yeah. Well, hmm. Thankfully, Jesus didn't look at you and go, well, they're not very, a very good candidate for my salvation. No, he forgave you. And that is the resource that we use to forgive one another. <laughs> Where do the marbles, these, these little glass beads come from? Don't tell me some factory in Cleveland, Ohio. That's not what I was talking about. Where does love come from? Because 
If we get low, where do we get more beads? John says God is love. God is our resource of love and forgiveness. And I've always said he'll never ask me to forgive someone else more than he's already forgiven me. He is my reservoir for more glass beads, for love and forgiveness uh, when it gets low. He is the one who fills my tank. And so I want you to know within the body of Christ, part of what it means to love is to forgive. To let some things go and to love other people because God's loved us. John talks about that in 1 John 4 and you can read that sometime. I want to close with this. In 1 Corinthians 13, oh, why don't you just stand this morning while I read this? 1 Corinthians 13, it's interesting to me when I thought of this, the love chapter, that chapter 13, you might not know this, is right in between 12 and 14. Yeah. Yeah, our music team can come on, watch the little glass things on the stage. In 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, Paul is talking about the body of Christ and our interdependency, how we interrelate. He's talking about the body of Christ. In the midst of that discussion, he breaks out into this, 1 Corinthians 13. And it's going to talk about love, and most of you have read it, and you know this. Why? Because the one thing that will bind us together is when we have God's kind of love that is selfless, sacrificial and forgiving there is no greater strength in a family or a home for god to pour his love into your life and for us to give and to fill our tank up till it overflows we don't know what to do with all of it and i want to close with the words of paul as a challenge to us he says though i speak with the tongues of men and angels but have not love I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind love does not envy love does not parade itself and is not puffed up we, we apply these verses to marriage that's not the context it is the church does not behave rudely does not seek its own is not provoked thinks no evil does not rejoice in iniquity but rejoices in the truth bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part does, will be done away with. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. 
Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am also known. 13, 13. And now abide faith, hope, love. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Father, today we thank you for your love for us that you poured out for us through Jesus Christ, your Son. We thank you for our forgiveness, your selflessness, your sacrificial giving. And Father, I pray that you would pour your love into us and that, Father, the world would look at us and they would see our great love and they would know that we are Jesus' disciples. Just as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed this morning, before we sing, I want you to know that the altar is open for you to come and deal with whatever you need to. I'm here to receive you if you felt led to join our church to make a profession of faith, to choose today to follow Jesus, the one who loves you and gave his life for you. So Byron and I are at the front to receive you. And we pray, we pray that you would respond to the drawing of God's Spirit today. And we pray it, all of this in Jesus' name.